1: Welcome to the 10th edition of the Digital Detectives, brought to you by our sponsors, Applied Discovery, an international leader in electronic discovery, and Carbonite Pro. Online backup for your law office, Carbonite Pro backs up your files automatically and continuously, so you're always protected. Learn more and try it free at CarbonitePro.com. We're glad to have you with us. I'm Sharon Nelson, president of Sensei Enterprises.
2: And I'm John Simic, vice president of Sensei Enterprises. Today on Digital Detectives, we'll be talking about the deplorable state of law firm security and the rise of advanced persistent threats. We are pleased to have as our guest our friend and colleague, Rob Lee, who is the director with the information security firm Mandiant, and the curriculum lead for digital forensic training at SANS Institute. Welcome, Rob.
3: Hi, thank you for having me on.
1: Well, we're delighted to have you. And and Rob, you have a very impressive biography. I knew we couldn't do the whole thing. Uh, We kind of did a very abbreviated version there. But is there anything in particular that you would like to highlight before we get to our topic?
3: Um, Well, just off off the top of my head, um, I've been working in information security and digital forensics for approximately 15 years. And I've seen uh, from a practice side, I've worked with law enforcement, uh, with the Air Force Office of Special Investigations, information security side of digital forensics with the 609th Information Warfare Squadron, and I also have worked in the intelligence community as well. Currently, I work at Mandiant, and we're on the front lines doing information security incident response as well as digital forensics cases uh, responding to Fortune 500 companies around the world.
2: Well, well, that's a great background, Rob. So that leads me right into my first question. Uh, we we found that law firm security to be far worse than other businesses. Is is that been your experience as well? And why do you think that's so?
3: <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's such an interesting uh, question. Um, part of the reasons I think that uh, law firm security is uh, potentially uh, worse than many other businesses is that uh, a lot of them think that they're not uh, specifically targets of information security attacks. Um, and as, also, as a part of that, it has a lot to do uh, with culture of a lot of law firms. It's, it's a very, um, you know, bring, bring things in, you know, very lo- uh, loose controls, uh, not as much. Uh, and a lot of things are directed to be in-house uh, versus uh, using a lot of specialization and consulting or managed services that are potentially available to it on the outside. Um, so as a result, um, from a technical perspective, uh, law firms seem to be laggards across many of the other verticals that we're encountering out there, even from energy uh, sector, from telecommunications, all across the board. Law firms seem to be the ones that seem to be about four or five years behind everyone else.
1: That, that's fascinating. It is c- consistent with what we've seen, and people were really shocked when we say four to five years, but I, I think you're right. Um, <clears throat> as you know, Rob, in October of 2010, the um, FBI issued a specific advisory to law firms telling them that they were, they were targets of hackers for a variety of purposes, including obtaining insider information, uh, litigation advantage, and information about VIP clients and corporations. When we lecture about this, though, we seem to get a collective shrug from the legal industry. Why do you think they are so slow to wake up to the threats?
3: Well, it's the same issue that if police comes around and says there's been a, a rash of break-ins in your neighborhood, you tend to think that, well, it's got to be someone else. It can't be me. Um, part of the reason is is that from a technology's perspective, um, a lot of law firms have brought in a lot of appliances. They look at literally at what these appliances are aimed to do, from intrusion detection firewalls, and they're already a, uh, almost at an inconvenience. And, They see how hard it is for uh, the uh, uh, practitioners to be able to accomplish anything, so they immediately assume they're not already a victim. Uh, And part of the problem that we're currently seeing is that in a lot of the entities that are currently being compromised, we're not talking that they um, have recently been discovered. Some of these entities have been compromised for months, even years. Uh, So as a a result of this, law firms think off the top of their head that we'll have detection in place and we'll know for a victim immediately, and then we'll be able to respond, not assuming that the uh, adversary that we're uh, referring to here specifically might already be in there, unknown to them, gathering a lot of information and exfiltrating that data as it is. So there's a little bit of uh, naivete uh, when it comes to assumptions over what security they currently have in place is capable of accomplishing
1: are you are you saying that if something is already in place but you bring in an appliance, the appliance may not be able to discover the intrusion
3: exactly okay. um, take antivirus for example, uh for the uh, a v uh, industry and all the good that they do um, and what we have seen specifically The majority of the uh, malware that is utilized by the adversaries are not detected. And we've seen malware that's been in existence over three or four years. And even the malware that is well known from our standpoint is still not detectable by most host based security mechanisms. On top of that, the adversaries are using uh, known um, individuals, they're like they're using your own accounts to move around the network. Information security appliances are looking for anomalies, not for things that look like it should be there. It's like the guy wearing the UPS uniform delivering packages, you know, say, well, that, you know, he looks like he's part of us, therefore, we're going to let him in. It's that type of mentality and that security appliances are just not very good at tuning in, looking for things that are known to be Okay.
2: Rob, your company Mandiant published a white paper about an attack on a law firm, and and I'm not going to ask you to specifically name those folks, but can you summarize the situation? And in particular, can you define the term advanced persistent threat for our listeners?
3: Certainly. The advanced persistent threat uh, is a term that was um, created in the uh, United States Air Force approximately back in 2004, 2005, to specifically describe a uh, group of attackers uh, originating from China that were infiltrating in uh, U.S. military uh, and .gov sites specifically. That's expanded, especially over the past five years, to uh, commercial and uh, law firms, nonprofits, energy sector, you name it. They, uh, the advanced persistent threat is specifically targeting anyone uh, with potential value to them. What do they find valuable? Intellectual property, knowledge. Um, you know, a strategic advantage, economic advantage—you uh, name it—they're specifically looking at targeting information that will help their um, groups that they're working for. Who knows what is in be able to gain a, a superior advantage over an um, economic or intellectual property. So, what we've seen, and there's about fifteen different, sixteen different APT groups that are currently uh, engaging in these uh, attacks currently. The majority of them uh, are centered on intellectual property, but many of them are also centered on economic and uh, other type of data. For example, we might see the APT specifically go after a company that's engaged in mergers and acquisitions in uh, for a company in Asia-Pacific, and what they would try to do is uh, try to pull out their negotiating strategies or something like that in order to come to the table so that you know they would already know what the lowest acceptable offer would be on the team that's trying to do the buyout, um, and we've seen this you know across the board. And when we're initially uh, notified by a client, and they say, "Yeah, we're engaged in M and A activity," and they're like in Ch- in China or Asia Pacific, and they say, "Yep," and you know, "How did that? What happened? How did you get notified?" But these are the types of things that we uh, routinely see. Now, the term "advanced persistent threat" um, a lot of there's a lot of misnomers for for that specifically because most people hear the word "advanced" and they're thinking that these guys are Uber hackers, and Reality, they're not. Um, What the advanced term is really tied to, at least in my opinion, is advanced logistics, that you have a group of operators that are trained that this is their full-time job. They're given a set of targets by uh, some sort of management direction. They have intelligence uh, that is feeding them exactly where to go. They also have a a software development back end that is creating new uh, capabilities, new exploits, and they're also uh, training different types of teams. We have like A teams, we're really good teams going after the hardest targets down to the C teams, which are the beginner groups uh, that are going after the uh, easier targets. Uh, so when you hear the term advanced, it's, they're actually, it's the advanced logistics back end. Persistence, if you catch them, they don't care. Uh, they will continually compromise your network even if you remediate them. Uh, they will come back in for wave two or wave three. Uh, and then threat is, uh, you know, obvious, you know, for a descriptor here. So we have a group of attackers that are well-funded, that are persistent, and basically uh, they're attacking uh, information from economic and intellectual uh, stamp, property standpoint. Now, when it comes down to the law firms that are specifically being targeted, well, if you take a look at all of corporate America or even all the nonprofits that are out there, every single one of these entities will work with a specific uh, legal entity in order to conduct their business transactions. A lot of these transactions are recorded specifically within the, the law firms themselves. The law firms are also the easier of the two targets to be able to pull this data from. When we are talking about the A-team, uh, you know, the really good guys versus the C-team, the law firms are routinely targeted by the C-teams, mainly because law firms do not have as many security defenses in place uh, that comparable to corporate America. Um, as a result of this, it's fairly easy for, and this is you know, standard APT methodology 101 here, that an individual will receive an email, and not just any email, but it's like a spear phishing email that is targeted against the individual. They know something about you that they're going to send you an email from someone that you know, uh, something with a data that you expect. You know, maybe that, you know, here is the new energy saving plan for the law firm. You know, we're going to start up a recycling program and here's, you know, perhaps the adversaries know this, so they'll generate a PDF, or they'll generate a uh, file with a uh, malware in it, and they'll target that individual to try and open it. Now, if you do this enough times, you'll eventually find someone that will click on it and open it. They usually will go after the people that they really want to get information from. Usually it's the, uh, the lawyer that's, you know, directly doing the business uh, that they're interested in. And so once they have you know, uh, created a beachhead, basically they've gotten the lawyer to click on the document, click on the PDF, open up the zip file, and it, they will essentially start going out from inside, establishing a command and control channel over the web. So this looks like normal web traffic, like the individual's going to Facebook or somewhere else, and it looks just like normal traffic, which is incredibly hard to detect, So it looks like normal uh, traffic in the command and control channel, they will upload additional malware, and from that machine they currently own, they will start to pivot around the network looking for, in most uh, law firms, the email server. They will start profiling the email server and start harvesting emails uh, off of that machine and start exfiltrating that uh, data in those emails off of the machine back to wherever they choose. Uh, so, as a result, um in many of these cases, from even nonprofits to um you know uh, legal entities working for corporate America, you know any of these documents that you're creating for them, anything that is being sent over to them, "Hey, could you take a look at this?" is potentially at risk from these adversaries. Most information security resources simply cannot detect that kind of attack because the user is duped to click on something, and they're using known communication paths. And hiding in the um, hiding in there in order to be able to uh, do the communication and data exfiltration from inside the network out. It's it's a very simple attack, but with devastating results.
1: It, is, is that, that what, w- yeah? I was going. I'm sure yeah. we're asking the same question, John. <laughs> yeah. Is that what happened in this law firm case?
3: Yes, hands down. And, and you could. Uh, it's not, you know, you law firms is a better way to put that. Oh, it's um, more, than,
2: more than one, huh? Geez.
3: Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Uh, I will, not you know, make a grand assumption. If you're a law firm and you're doing business with any corporation that is focused on China or Asia Pacific, there is a high likelihood, and I will bet you a burrito – you're currently compromised by the APT.
1: <laughs> <laughs> wow. I'm, not the, I'm not taking the bet. <laughs>
2: wow, we moved from tacos to burritos. <laughs> we're,
3: we're not talking like one or two here. In the, in the amount of sites that we've seen um, in corporate America, you know, we're talking 1,500, 2,000 sites that are known. Who knows how many are unknown at this point that are compromised by APT adversaries.
1: It's it's truly extraordinary. And and I know one way to, to fight that, to resist it, is to have defense in depth, a concept which attorneys just they you know, they look like deer in headlights whenever you try to talk to them about that. Can you educate our listeners about defense in depth? <laughs>
3: yes. <laughs> it basically means in a nutshell that you know you can't have a really high wall and cross your fingers, hope nothing will ever come across it. Um, the perimeter defenses are great, and every law firm should have them as a prerequisite if they're going to be attaching themselves to the internet. It prevents you from being a low-hanging fruit for other types of attacks, and it, you know, casual users from coming in and doing things against you. But the defense in depth truly comes into play is that you start doing a later, layered defense of not just having um, the perimeter protected but you're starting to migrate uh, on the inside uh, when it comes to data. So to continue, uh, from the inside, one of the things that we're really trying to get a lot of law firms to focus on is they need to start logging a lot more data and have a lot more data collection points in place from hosts as well as network uh, type resources. And simply, out of all the different types of organizations that we've seen, law firms are, they have some firewalls and maybe intrusion detections in place, but that's it. They have almost, you know, from a security baseline, even the basics, they don't have anything in place. And to show you the scope of how much this is a problem, that once the APT is infested, um... And this is, you know, again, in not just one situation that this has occurred in, in several situations. Once the APT is infested, that they have very little tools to be able to determine where they are. So as a result, we've actually been in meetings in which the lawyers in the IT staff that are working for the law firm turn to us and say, and it's a serious question that they ask us: what if we just let them Stay. I mean, do we have to continually do this? They were been spending so much money on trying to remediate. They literally are saying, "Well, what's acceptable at this point? We can't get rid of them. Can we live with them?"
1: Hmm.
3: As a That's question, amazing. and it's mainly because they just simply do not have the security infrastructure in place, and they're looking at the outlay of cost from a CIO perspective to be able to implement the security measures that would be needed, and it you know goes over the threshold for you know the annual budget. And, they, you know, from their own partners, it just it, it's too much to ask in a single year to implement. Hmm.
2: Before we move on to our next segment, let's take a quick break with a few words from the Legal Talk Network and our sponsors, Carbonite Pro and Applied Discovery.
0: Applied Discovery, a global leader in complex litigation preparation and management combined subject matter expertise and innovative e-discovery technology in a complete and proven process. From litigation readiness to collection, analytics, processing, document review, and production services, we manage your entire process with dedicated project managers to ensure quality and workflow efficiency. With our team, including former practicing attorneys and technology experts, Applied Discovery can help you successfully navigate the challenges of complex discovery. Discover Applied Discovery today at AppliedDiscovery.com.
1: A computer disaster is devastating. Imagine losing your client files and billing records. That's why more law offices are using Carbonite Pro Online Backup. With Carbonite Pro, your files are backed up automatically, so it really gets done continuously. They're stored securely and safely off-site. Plus, each employee can access their backed up files from any computer or on their smartphone with a free app. Prices start at just $10 a month. Start your free one month trial at carbonitepro.com. That's carbonitepro.com. Welcome back, digital detectives on the Legal Talk Network. Today, we're talking to Rob Lee, who is a director with the information security firm Mandiant and the curriculum lead for digital forensic training at Sands Institute.
2: As I say, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. We recommend that law firms do security assessments once or twice a year. Uh, do you agree with that, Rob? And what would the assessment consist of? And can you give us an approximate cost of, say, a 20-person law firm?
3: This is, this is the ultimate. So I'm going to answer this question the way lawyers usually answer me. Well, it depends. <laughs> <laughs> and here's what it depends on. um actually, you need two types of assessments uh the security assessment's great, which you need to go through and ensure that your policies, your procedures, everything is in place. But another type of assessment that I highly recommend is the threat assessment, which is are you already compromised um and it's a new type of assessment that's out there that uh you know can we provide a many, but other corporations are now also providing that essentially allow law firms to potentially scan their own networks using known indicators of compromise in order to determine, you know, before you start securing anything else, do we already have a problem? Then you move down into the deep security assessment, vulnerability assessments, to ensure you're patching the holes and you're potentially laying out your security infrastructure properly.
2: And, and what, what about cost? Is, there a, is that a depends as well?
3: <laughs> well, it, it, again, it depends usually on the uh, amount of hosts that you have uh, inside your enterprise organization. Uh, 5,000 hosts is typically a very small uh, set. You know, 20 would be extremely small. Um, and to almost to the fact that, you know, in some cases, I'm not sure we would look at an uh, organization of 20. That's where a lot of smaller firms really come into play. But, you know, from the minimum minimum side, from 1,000 to 5,000 is usually what we tend to look at from a starting point. And then we've uh, assessed networks up to, you know, 100,000 to 200,000 hosts at this point.
1: Okay. Okay. Um, John has always told me that you're one of the best instructors at SANS, so if you had to educate law firms about information security in five quick points, what would they be?
3: (laughs) Um, All right. Your biggest liability is your attorneys. And this is, uh, it's hard to assess why that is, but it comes down to they're a target, they have a lot of data that is sensitive. Um, so, as a result, a lot of education and what we call at the SANS Institute, we have a program called Securing the Human, which is a, um, a program specifically aimed at educating individuals that are potentially focused of these type of attacks. The uh, second point, agile over entrenched security is better. Uh, being able to move fast and deploy additional assets and resources uh, with people and appliances is going to be key to the long-term success of any law firm security IT department. Um, there's also an a uh, tendency not to log everything, or in some cases, anything at a law firm. You need to turn on logging on every host. You need to uh, do arc site deployments. You need to have your servers especially logged. Start logging uh, so, until it bleeds. A lot of compliance measures out there uh, essentially point to this. The next point, eat your own dog food. Uh, follow the compliance measures that you 're writing for everyone else at this point pci dss FISMA top twenty controls, whatever that you 're taking a look at here, you need to ensure that you're uh, what we're potentially utilizing in a lot of these other corporations for are you compliant or there's potential lawsuits that are uh, uh, going to come up if you 're not compliant. you need to take a look at these seriously and say do does the legal vertical need its own compliance? standard for data protection. I'm not sure if one exists at this point, um, but again, if there's not one, they should take a look at some of the other ones that are out there and see if there needs to be an overarching one or recommendations that should be implemented across the industry as a whole. Um, The last point is assume you're already compromised. Don't make the assumption that because we don't see it, it must not be there. That's a very ostrich effect. We need to essentially assume you're already compromised. If that's the case, would you be doing anything different than it is today? An example in the information security community that imagine, if you will, uh, with a uh, close friend of mine, a lot of friends out there uh, from this one company, H.B. Gary is an example. Their CEOs and mm-hmm. executive staff's emails were compromised and literally posted online, WikiLeaks style, by a hacker group named, named Anonymous. If that happened at your law firm, what would be the liability and risk of exposure? That is what you potentially need to assess when you're looking at uh, information security.
2: Uh, In your experience, what what percentage of the time can you determine how a data breach occurred and and what percentage can you determine the responsible party?
3: Um, Well, the first question is usually we could determine the initial um, intrusion point if logging is in place, if data goes back. In some cases, if there's been, it's been so long since the initial compromises occurred. It's like trying to determine patient zero in a virus outbreak. Very hard to do. Um, but if the data is there, it's possible. In law firms, it's been almost zero chance because there's been no logging. We've never been able to determine <laughs> uh, where the initial breach occurred in a lot of these situations. It's been months, years, who knows how long. The question is, how long have we been exposed? And we scratched our heads and said, we don't know because you have no logs. Uh, so as a result, right. it's, it's a lesson learned at that point. In terms of attribution, we're doing attribution based off of looking at, um, again, forensic elements, not just on the case of that specific client, but across a whole. We'll see specific indicators same malware being util- utilized, and that's where we're able to tie different groups together based off of their techniques their bounce points, whatever else that they're going to be using. In a specific client situation, do we know if it was a specific entity, a government organization, or someone else that directed the attack against them? In some cases, it's unknown. Since we're not law enforcement, uh, usually we recommend to the firms that you have to engage with law enforcement. Usually, law enforcement has much better tools to engage with the attribution. So as a result of that, can we determine who really did it? a uh, lot less uh, chance of doing that. But we can make some uh, pretty good guesses uh, to that end.
1: Well, that that's very helpful. Um, I'm I'm going to kind of skip a little bit to, I think, what's going to be our final question here, given the time. And that is, bo- most law firms seem to rely entirely on internal personnel for information security. We think that's a terrible mistake for our own host of reasons. Do you agree with our assessment? And uh, what do you think, Rob?
3: I, I think it is. Uh, a really good approach would be an, amal- an amalgam of both uh, implementations. Is that if they rely completely on internal IT staff, uh, then they lose the experience uh, that is born of you know engaging on the, a lot of these intrusions and manage you know doing security across multiple different clients. Uh, so as a result, I recommend that IT security staff is uh, bolstered with managed security services, uh, external assessments, um, because you need someone who's not familiar with your network to be able to take a look at it and say, is this good or not? Uh, it's kind of like ha- handing your own papers over to someone else to get proofread. You know, you hand it over to someone who does it a lot in order to make sure that it's correct. And that's the point here. Ha- and the final thing I would make as a point for the IT security staff, hire the best and most expensive personnel you could potentially <laughs> find. Um, you The... Trying to shoot for the low end, hey, we'll get a 40K a year person straight out of uh, a local university program, you get to what you pay for. If you, you know, For your small staffs, the more experienced that they are, the more uh, authority that they have, and the more ability that you're able to hire the best, the better your overall security will be, uh, hands down. And I just see way too many organizations out there over the past five years have been Choosing to go, well, let's go cheap instead of let's hire the best. And right now, because of the adversaries that we're out there facing, we don't have, you know, we really don't have the, uh, the chance to bring someone up to where they need to be. You need to hire someone with that experience today.
2: Well, well, thanks so much for joining us today, Rob. We really appreciate you sharing your expertise with us on on this podcast.
3: Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. <laughs>
2: That does it for this edition of Digital Detectives. And remember, you can subscribe to all editions of this podcast at www.legaltalknetwork.com or on iTunes.
1: And you can find more about Sensei's computer forensics, technology, and security services at www.senseient.com. We'll see you next time on Digital Detectives.
0: The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network. It's officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Thanks for listening to Digital Detectives on the Legal Talk Network. Check out some of our other podcasts on LegalTalkNetwork.com and in iTunes.